Welcome to the Midlife Career Rebel, the podcast created for high-achieving professional women to gain the clarity, confidence, and courage they need to go after and get the life and career they want. I'm your host, Dr. Carol Parker-Walsh, lawyer, social scientist, brand strategist, executive coach, entrepreneur, and midlife career rebel. Each week, you'll learn strategies to manage your mind, navigate the challenges of midlife, and take control of your career so you can thrive doing the work you love. So if you're ready to tear up that rule book and create your own, you're in the right place. And I can't wait to show you how. Hey, 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 Rebels. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited today because I have such a special individual who is joining us to talk about their journey, um, you know, just all the amazing things that they are doing in the world and um, are preparing and poised to go into next. So I am so excited to welcome someone that I know well, have been working with as a client for um, I think a year or so now, or going on two years now, but I'm happy to introduce you to Dr. J. Savelius. <laughs> we went through this. I'm thinking about rebellious. <laughs> um, who's a clinical psychologist and lifelong academic, currently transitioning from professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, to professor of medical psychology in psychiatry at Columbia University. Jay is known internationally for their expertise in gender affirming healthcare for transgender and gender expansive communities, leading large community engaged research projects on transgender health in New York, California, and Brazil. Jay also specializes in psychedelic assisted therapy for identity-based trauma and holds a certificate in psychedelic assisted therapies and research from the California Institute of Integral Studies. And honestly, I think that's just only a snippet of the amazingness. This doesn't even really cover all that I even I know. <laughs> Uh, about this amazing individual. So Jay, welcome so much to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Carol. It's such an honor. <laughs> so I, I love to just kind of start off with your own career journey, right? Because I know, you know, as an academic and I've spent a career um, in, in academia as well, um, everyone may not be familiar with what that looks like. And, and, and even some of the, what that life at the ivory tower is, what it does to you and things of that nature. So I would love for you to just share about your journey from, um, from when you started your career to where you're going to now. Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, you know, I, was always really, really passionate about school. From the time I was a kid, I was, you know, playing school in during the summers and dumpster diving for workbooks. Like I just, I love school. I love feeling challenged. I love the structure of it and I love learning. And so I always had this sense of, you know, if I could do anything, I would just stay in school my whole life. And that's what I ended up doing essentially was, um, you know, after I, I I, I got my PhD, I immediately got a job uh, as a research assistant at uh, UCSF, where, where I'm currently transitioning out of, and worked my way up from research assistant to project director to postdoctoral scholar to faculty member. And I think of that as kind of a backdoor path. It's very, it, it, it was a pretty non-traditional path 
um, into the, the, the faculty trajectory. And I'm currently director of the Center for AIDS Prevention Studies where I started at, at UCSF. And so it's been a really rewarding journey. And uh, I, you know, I've been very successful in, um, in doing what I do. And I work in a soft money environment, meaning that uh, my work is supported by grant funding. So I write a lot of grants. <laughs> I do a lot of research projects. I write a lot of papers. And, and so it's, it's, there's a lot of emphasis on a certain type of productivity. And with that, there's also a certain emphasis on um, sort of this given trajectory, a, a, a certain path that's carved out for you. You get this type of grant and then this type of grant, and this is what success looks like. And if you keep working that program, you could spend your whole career doing that. And, um, you know, being an Enneagram type three, <laughs> um, <laughs> an achiever, I am very driven by those carrots. I, I love getting the grant. I love the rewards. I love the acknowledgement. I love, you know, the, the satisfaction of publishing a paper, but there is an, an, an emptiness that can start to set in when, um, you know, what I found for myself was that the work that I was doing didn't really encapsulate all of who I was or who I am. And I felt like I had so much more to offer beyond sort of repeating this formula for success. And even though I was doing it well, and there was something rewarding about that, I just had this nagging feeling that I had more to offer and that I wanted to explore more of what I was curious about in the world and didn't really feel like I could do that in the role that I had at UCSF. And I felt that kind of stagnation for years. Mm. And I like, I hate to say that because there's always that part of you that's like, ugh, like, you know, I, I, I couldn't, there was something that um, where I didn't allow myself to, to break out and I did explore you know, other pathways and diversify my interests. I got interested in psychedelic assisted therapies, which was really different. And I think of as a little bit rebellious mm -hmm. um, in, in, in academia. Um, but I got so tired of hearing myself talk about how stagnant I felt and how bored of my job that I felt and how I didn't know what my next step was that I just, I felt like I needed a big change. And that mm -hmm. was scary. Mm hmm. Yes. I, you said so many amazing things. Like, I love when you talked about how when you were, you've always known that you've loved school, like you love learning and that you were dumpster diving for workbooks, which I think <laughs> is so fabulous. And I, I think what's really cool about that is not too many people like know what they want to do when they're young and like literally pursue that career as they move forward, which I think is, you know, unique in and of itself. You know, a lot of times people think one thing and then they, you know, take on a completely new path. So knowing that about yourself so early, I think is so amazing. But what I also think is, you know, you use this phrase that I love about repeating the formula of success, that even though you have found the success, right? Because a lot of times what we do is like, you know, we, we follow the plan, we get there and it's like, <laughs> right. And we, and, and the mind is like, well, I'm here. It's what I wanted. So how do I find ways to make myself happy? Even though, as you said, you were stagnant and 
looking for other outlets to try to fill a void and knew it was time to go. So I think so many people can relate to that because it's like, no, I did follow the plan. I do like my career. I do like what I do. It's like, it's not horrible, but something is just missing. And I think that is so powerful that you shared that. So, so coming to the realization that something was missing, what made you decide to say, I want to do something different? I got to do, I got to figure this out. No, I had been trying to figure it out for a while. And I thought that figuring it out meant I need to know what my next step is. I need to think, okay, I'm a clinical psychologist by training. So if I'm not doing this, does that mean I go into private practice? Does that mean I do this other thing? you know, or I thought, well, there's no, there's no universities within the San Francisco Bay area that I would rather be at than UCSF or that is a good fit for me. So I meet, I either stay at UCSF or I quit and go do something completely different, like private practice or coaching or consulting or entrepreneurship, freelance writing. I thought of all of these different solutions and none felt right to me. I didn't feel ready to completely quit academia. There are a lot of things that I enjoy about the structure of academia and the collegiality and and collaborations that it makes possible. Um, But I think what was missing in taking that leap to the problem solving was the self-discovery piece. And that was the piece that was really valuable for me in the work that we did together because as a, I, I'm a psychologist. I, I'm introspective. I thought I knew myself well enough to be like, I, let me just figure this out. What's the action plan? But that step prior to it, it's doing that deep dive, the, all of the all of the work to the, you know the different personality tests that we did, and I, I mentioned the Enneagram. Uh, I had, you know, and I had done the Enneagram before, but something about this self-discovery process, I ended up doing a really deep dive into working with the Enneagram and was surprised by how informative that was, how enlightening it was and what the self-acceptance that it brought Mm -hmm. to really acknowledge the shadow sides of being a three and the pitfalls that I needed to look out for and what was going to motivate me, what was going to help me feel secure and what um, traps I might need to watch out for. And so that self-discovery piece um, was really, really critical so that when the opportunity arose and when the universe opened the door for me to consider something I hadn't was not even on my radar, I was able to see it for the opportunity that it was and see how I could have all of this input into shaping that opportunity to fit with the vision of what I wanted, of who I am now, of what I see myself growing into, rather than just saying, oh, you know, I'm just going to repeat some of the same mistakes that I made in my past by thinking that um, I have all the answers Mm-hmm. going into it, which I didn't. I, you know, that is so awesome because you're right. I, you are a psychologist. So, you know, most people would be like, I can, like you said, I can figure this out. And I think most established, high achieving, successful, smart professional women are like, well, I got this far, you know, I should be able to figure it out. And, you know, what I love was that you said, you know, I didn't have the answers, you know, and I thought about all these other things. And that's the other thing I think people do is they go straight to the action line. They go straight to like, well, what can I do? What can I do? As opposed to taking a step back, like you said, and discovering 
who am I and what do I really want and what really makes sense for me? And I know for you through that process, you figured out, no, academia is where I want to be. You know, I don't want to go off into at least, at least for now, right? What's the best decision for me now? Because I always say that it's always about the right now choice. It's not about, oh, the one perfect thing that I'm going to do until I die. That's what kind of gets us in the mess to begin with, in my opinion. <laughs> um, it's the what makes the best sense for me right now in the ecosystem of my life and what's aligned with my values and where I see myself going and the work that I really want to do that I think is um, really fulfilling. So I, I would love for you to share a little bit more about, um, you know, why you believe that a discovery process is important because listen, this stuff takes a moment, right? It's not an overnight proposition. And so, so many times we like, we want to, we want to go now. We want the answer now. We want to make the move now and to stop, stop sitting in action to start to stay back and thinking sometimes can feel really unsettling or even to some people a waste of time. So for, for you, how were you able to navigate that? You know, I think there's so many things I think about why, why the self-discovery process is important. But I think one is that um, I think working with a coach during the self-discovery process it was really, really invaluable for me because um, you were able to point out things to me about my own thought habits, things that I was expressing that I wasn't even aware of. You know, our thought habits are like the air that we breathe. Mm -hmm. And there were there were things about the discovery process that you know, places that I got stuck where I knew that I needed someone who was really skilled in recognizing these, these thought habits or loops that we get into, um, and then reflecting them back to me in a way that was also skillful, you know, where I could really sit with it and work with it and think, okay, yeah, I see how that's a thought habit of mine. And how is that impacting me? And how will that impact me going forward? If I keep do, if I keep doing it this way? you know, mm -hmm. and that is, you know, and it's, it's true. It's like, okay, I've gotten, I've gotten this far with these habits, um, you know, but recognizing how doing things a different way or, or, or challenging my own thoughts um, and, and choosing different beliefs, choosing different thoughts, like how transformative that was in how I felt and how I feel and how I am facing new situations going forward is one of the things that has been really incredible for me in navigating this transition from UCSF to Columbia is really using this as an opportunity to say, who, who am I going forward? Who do I want to be? Who do I want to tell this new person um, that I am? How do I want to show up? I, mm -hmm. You know, is, is really what it, it, it comes down to. And showing up in a new way has been so um so eye-opening for me because I'm like, this is part of who I am. That part of me is, has been inside me, but I've gotten into this habit of showing up in this certain way. And, and for me personally, it was about being agreeable, being different, being accommodating. And that makes me a, a nice person to work with, but it <laughs> yeah. doesn't always, it, it doesn't always get me what I want. And it doesn't always garner the respect that I know I deserve. And um, it also means that I don't, I'm not always great at setting boundaries um, around my time and energy. And it's something I've been working on for a long time, but practicing 
those boundaries, practicing asserting myself in the negotiation process with Columbia was like mind-blowingly transformative. It was just like insight after insight and in practicing those new skills. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I think of all of that as the self-discovery process. Yeah. So fabulous. So fabulous. You know, and so talking about like the self-discovery process, one of the things, the way, the way I like to frame it is like this inner game work, right? That, that, that the, the, the bedrock of the framework that I use in the program is like grounded in this inner and outer game strategy that yes, there's tactics. Yes, there's tools. Yes, there's things that you can implement and do, but without the inner game, without the mindset, without, you know, managing our, our thought process and checking those thought errors and those, those thought habits that we have, none of the other stuff's going to work because if you're trapped in one way of being and showing up in the world, it's hard to implement, you know, to do something different. I always say, if you want the future you never had, you got to start doing things you never done. Right. And so it means you have to kind of shift things up a little bit. Um, and so, you know, from your perspective, you know, mindset, this internal work, this discovery work that you talked about, you know, played a big factor, but, you know, what do you think is some of the challenges people would have in, you know, engaging with this work? I could talk about some of the challenges I had. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, please. They, they, uh, you know, I think, Interestingly, like, you know, like we've been saying, you know, I'm a psychologist, I'm very familiar with things like cognitive behavioral therapy and and those sorts of things. But it's really different when you're doing this kind of inner work. And again, like I was saying, you know, the, the, the thoughts, the thought habits that we have are like the air that we breathe. We don't realize that, that, that we're doing that or we're defaulting to something. When we have a belief, we think that's just the way things are, or that's mm-hmm. the way things are as we see them. And, and it's, it was really uh, challenging and a real shift for me to really get that we choose our beliefs. Mm. To like, I it's like intellectually I knew that. It, it, yes, it makes sense. But when we when you would ask me like, you know, how do I want to feel, and what do I need to believe in order to feel that way, it was really a, a, an interesting flip for me mm-hmm. to think about what do I need to believe and, and be able to choose that belief. But when mm-hmm. I did that, like, for example, you know, I had sort of what I considered kind of a crisis situation at UCSF that really threw me for a loop emotionally and really challenged my sense of who I am mm-hmm. when I was, I was kind of in a panic and what, and, and because I thought, Oh, this is, this is, a this is reflective of who I am as a person or this person's perspective of me is really, um, you know, damaging in some way. And when I was operating from that place, um, you know, my actions came from this place of like, oh, I need to change this person's mind and convince them that I really am a good person or, you know, or be in fear that this person's, uh, you know, opinion of me was going to going to be damaging of me in some way or, you know, and, and it brought up a lot of fear and anxiety and, you know, self doubt. But when I chose to believe, you know what, this person's opinion is their opinion, and they get to have it. And I know who I am. And I can be really rooted in that and grounded in what I know my values to be, and Mm. move forward from that place. It really, it completely, completely shifted the situation. I was not carrying that anxiety around anymore. I was able to move forward in, in a much more productive way. And it was a huge lesson for me in, um, 
you know, the importance of, of the thought work, even when we, um, even when it's challenging, even when we're, we're so comfortable um, in our thought habits. Yeah. I, you know, that is so powerful because, you know, even in the process of going from one position to another, leaving, leaving an employment situation to go to another so many times, like, like you mentioned before, like feeling stagnant and trying to find outlets. And so many times people have this belief that they have to hate their job or that they have to, you know, be in complete discontent um, in order to be open to other opportunities. And I always say that it's so much better when you could step into something as opposed to feel like you're running away from something. And a part of this whole thing about really managing our thoughts and our emotions helps us to feel grounded where we are. So we don't feel like we have to run and make an exit or run to do something different because it's so horrible where we are, or whatever. However, our mind is painting the picture. And, um, and I know that's so hard hard for people who are like, just get me out of here. And I'm like, wait, let's slow it down and let's get you whole and full and thinking in a way that's more empowering where you're in control so that we don't take that kind of stinking thinking with us <laughs> where we go and recreate the whole situation someplace else. So I love that you're sharing this because, you know, the inner game strategy is, is it is, it is, it's complex, it's deep, but it is so powerful. And it's a tool that really helps in not only figuring out, you know, how to get the clarity in terms of where, what you want to do, but even engaging in the process along the way to step into what you're going to do next. So, so let's talk about the next step, right? You mentioned a little bit about salary negotiation and, 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 you know, with all of that, what made, um, this position right for you? Like, how did you know, like, this is the next position? Like what opened up for you to say, yes, it's time for me to make the move someplace else. Because I think, cause like you said, UCSF wasn't horrible, although you felt stagnant, but what made you open up for this new position? You know, I think the main thing was the opportunity to shape the position from the get-go, according to my new understanding of who I am, what I want, what I want to explore. And I saw that. Okay. I that's powerful. Yeah. I got to put a pin in that for a second. I want you to listen to what they said to shape the position that yeah. they were going into. That is so, because most people try to bend and fit into something as opposed to, no, let me shape something that's aligned to who I am and what I want to do. So I just want to put a pin in that because that was powerful. So please continue. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I thought it was, it was powerful for me too, because when, when I was approached with this opportunity, um, I realized, okay, Columbia has got a lot going on. It's a huge institution. There's a lot to take advantage of. And I really gave myself the time to do the research and think, okay, what, what's going on there that I can explore? How does this fit with what I know, my, who I know myself to be now, what I am curious about, what I could grow into and really allow myself to, to express interests and um, ambitions that I hadn't previously allowed myself to articulate because they felt so big or they felt so, uh, you know, stepping into the unknown or really this like next chapter. Whereas UCSF, I've been there for so long that 
you know, it, it, it's sort of prescribed. I have this very mm-hmm. prescribed role and, um, you know, moving to Columbia where there's new opportunities, new collaborations, new, uh, you know, new ways to, for me to grow. Um, that's, you know, and, and really doing the, the work that we did together around, um, you know, sort of visioning, I was able to articulate here are the things that I want and to see if Columbia could respond and say, yes, that's, we, we can support you in, in doing that. And they did. Yeah. And, you know, things that weren't initially part of the, you know, of, of the position that they had envisioned for me, I offered up and said, this is what I want to do. And they said, yes, please come here and do that. And that was mind blowing, you know, <laughs> and if I hadn't done that kind of, that kind of exploration and also done the thought work to know that I was deserving of living out my full self-expression and exploring what I want to explore, um, I wouldn't have felt um, like I was grounded enough to ask for that or to, mm-hmm. you know, to put, put that on the table. I love that. I love that. And then when it came time to, um, you know, the whole process of negotiating and moving forth, I know that was something else, you know, part of the activate stage, I call it in our, in our, uh, in the program is really about the, the really leaning into the tactics and strategies um, that you use to kind of step into. And then once you're there, you know, kind of owning that position, how was that process for you? And how helpful was that for you doing, you know, um, your, your, the process of going from one to the other? In terms of the negotiations? Yeah. 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 You know, I had never negotiated a position before ever. I had, oh, you know, I stepped into UCSF, like I said, even before I had finished my dissertation. And then I just followed the sort of tiers and the structures that they had laid out for me. Mm -hmm. So this was brand, brand new. And I know that without this work, I would have been one of those people, especially women who just accept what is offered and feel really lucky to have gotten anything at all. Mm. And I'm so incredibly glad that I did not do that for so many reasons. One, I've learned how expensive it is to move to New York City. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I think this move would have cost me money if I hadn't just really negotiated what I needed to negotiate um, and to feel confident going forward. But also because it it allowed me to show up in the new way that I want to be in the world, which is to express my needs, you know, say what I need, allow other people to have their reactions, to be able to you know, just set boundaries and, and, and negotiate those boundaries with people. Um, and doing that at Columbia as sort of my first kind of interaction with them was felt really important to showing up in a new way for this new phase of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there were so many things about working with you on that process that was, that was so Uh, helpful. And I mean, one, of course, it was like just getting the confidence to ask for what I needed. But I mean, everything from like getting concrete feedback about how I was phrasing the question, what I was asking for, and really even going through the numbers with me and being like, okay, here, here's what makes sense. Um, Here's how, here's how I know why I'm asking for what I'm asking for. And and then, you know, showing up that way. And so, um, yeah, I feel really, really good about how that process went. Yeah, it's it's, yeah, feels great. That's so awesome. So awesome. So so I would love for you just to share a little bit of generally your experience. I know we talked about some of the, um, 
you know, some of the, the, the nuances of, you know, the thought work, the discovery process, you know, some of the, the tactics around negotiating, but just generally your experience um, in the Rebel Academy and, and your thoughts about working with a coach, you know, um, I just, you know, I, I know that's another thing, you know, coaching in the past used to be if you were doing something wrong. Um, and so sometimes I think people still have a little bit of a connotation that I have to wait until something before I, you know, go get the help I need. But I would love for you to talk about your experience with the, the, the program, the community, and just coaching generally that, that you would share for people to help them understand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, when you think about even the, the most elite athletes in the world have a coach, <laughs> you know, they, people who excel at what they do get coaching. And that's because, you know, it, it, it is so important to get that kind of objective feedback to have someone who is your sort of uh, can, can reflect back to you, um, you know, where, where the places are that are growth opportunities and support you in, in, really pushing those edges, you know, and I think in order to level up in our lives, we absolutely have to get uncomfortable and it can be really challenging, you know, by definition, growing means getting out of your comfort zone. It's uncomfortable. That. And to level up, it's another one. I got a tweetable to level up. You got to get uncomfortable. Absolutely. Because growth by definition is getting out of your comfort zone. Love that. Love that. Okay. Please continue. (laughs) Yeah. And when we're out of our comfort zone, what do we want to do? We want to jump right back into our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. It's really tempting to just be like, oh, this is uncomfortable and I feel scared. That must mean that this isn't right for me. Or, you know, I I feel afraid. I feel, you know, self-doubt is coming up. That must, must mean I need to jump back into Um, something that feels a little more comfortable, but we're not going to grow that way. And I think that, you know, when we're uncomfortable, when we're growing, to have someone who can say, this is a good sign, this is a good sign, this means that you're, you're challenging yourself, you're, you're growing, the discomfort will come, and that's okay, it will also pass. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that kind of support. And that's where I think that the Career Rebel Academy was also um, really fabulous and has been really fabulous in doing the group work. Because, you know, you get to not only like get supported by other people who really know what it's like to be (laughs) working with that discomfort, but you also get to support other people and see what their processes are like and and um, and learn from that you know, mm-hmm. learn from uh, where other people are working. And it was it was also really um, interesting to me to learn about how we all have different things that are our growth edges, you know, and, mm-hmm. and seeing where other people's growth edges are and how they were working with those. Um, ha- that's been really enlightening for me. And yeah. yeah, it's just been really fantastic. Yeah, yeah. One of the biggest objections I often hear from people around hiring a coach is time and money investment. And, you know, I, you're completely busy, you know, writing millions of dollars of grants and everything else that you were doing. How did you navigate that? You know, how, how did you overcome that objection for yourself? And what would you say as advice to others who were struggling with, with time and and money, maybe on their mind thinking, oh, I can't have a coach because of that reason. 
yeah, I, I totally get the, the feeling busy. It's, <laughs> we're all, we are all really busy. And that is, that's sort of a cliche at this point in our, in our culture, right? We're all really, really busy and high achieving women are by definition are very busy. But what, what it was for me was like, how much time have I spent feeling stagnant? Mm. How much time have I felt talking to family and friends about not knowing what the next step is for me? How much more time do I want to waste feeling like I could be doing more? And I was like, you know, spending that time um, investing in myself and really, really discovering what I want and who I am is a much better use of my time than, <laughs> than feeling, than feeling stagnant, feeling like I'm wasting time. I, I had already felt like I had wasted a lot of time. So this, this kind of time, this is an investment. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I don't, I don't see that as, as a thing. The, 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 the money piece I also get like a lot of us are very much in this like scarcity mindset, like, oh, I, I don't have enough money, or that's a lot of money or, you know, and and it, in some ways, it's a worthiness issue. Like, Mm -hmm. am I worth it? You know, is like, how do you put a price on your own happiness? How do you put a price Mm -hmm. on your own growth? You know, that there, there's no there's no price on that. This, these are our lives. You know, mm-hmm. life is short. We only, at, at least in this go round, this particular iteration, we only get one. And mm-hmm. so um, to me, there, yeah, the, there is no, there is no price on that. I also got really creative and I identified some professional development funds at my university that um, could help me cover the cost. And so I really would always, always, always encourage people to like, as the first step of getting uncomfortable is to go and ask, are there professional development funds? Universities often have them for faculty, I know, but other companies are very much willing to invest in their employees in that way. And so finding out if there's a chunk of money you can get, or if they could cover the whole amount um, and I also think getting creative, it's like if your family and friends <laughs> like mine were tired of hearing you talk about <laughs> feeling stagnant, not knowing what's next, maybe you could do a little Kickstarter and have people, you know, um, help you get to that place. Because I know in my case, um, just in the negotiation process with Columbia, though my work with you has been paid for probably three times over mm-hmm. and it, it comes back. It comes back and it truly is an investment in that sense. And so tell your friends and family, you'll pay them back when you get that raise because you will, if that's what you're going for. I love that. That is so fabulous. So, so, you know, I think you probably captured this, you know, but I'm still going to ask the question for people who are like sitting on the fence thinking, you know, I don't know, I'm not sure, you know, and I'm sure that's a whole lot of mindset stuff and worthiness questions. And, you know, there's a lot of that I'm sure going on. Usually that's, that's what I see. Um, But if people are on the fence, what advice would you give to kind of push them over to say, you know, come on steps, step up, let's make it happen. (laughs) I would ask them, you know, really think about how attached to your unhappiness are you <laughs> that you're not willing <laughs> to, to take a step into a, you know, a change into a new mm-hmm. future, you know, is it, is your, is your current level of discomfort so comfortable to you that you're willing to choose that over the discomfort of the unknown? 
Wow. That's a powerful question right there. <laughs> Gauntlet lay down. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's real talk. That is real talk because that's fundamentally what it's about. You know, it's about, do I stay in this, you know, lack of clarity, stagnation, unhappiness, you know, um, not knowing what to do next and how long do I want to live in that before I actually decide to step into something that can actually move me in the right direction. And what I often tell people is that, you know, we think that, oh, if I just wait or put it off later, that, you know, when things get better or they align or whatever reasons we come up with to put things off, that it'll be okay to start later. And I always tell people that, time problems compound like interest. <laughs> so mm -hmm. time where you are now is not where you're going to be a year from now. You'll be worse because problems compound upon themselves, just like solutions compound upon themselves. So if you're moving in the right direction and you get more benefit after benefit after benefit, it compounds like interest, just like problems compound in the opposite direction in the deficit if you don't make a move. So really right where you are right now, you're at the best possible decision-making time to either step into the solution of success or a compounding problem situation that could be much worse, mm -hmm. you know, moving forward. So I love that you shared that. So tell me, what does it mean to be a career rebel to you? To me, being a career rebel means choosing a non-traditional path in order to be more fully who you are. Mm. And non-traditional can look all kinds of ways. And a lot of times non-traditional from the outside can look fairly traditional. Like I, I'm a traditional academic, but I think of myself as having taken a very non-traditional path in a traditional field. And it takes courage to do that. You know, it takes courage to... Uh, to do something different, to um, change your change your trajectory, to make decisions based on um, you know who you are and not who other people see you as or want you to be. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it really has to do with taking ownership of your own path and being really true to who you are. I love that. That feels so aligned with the work you do in the world as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know uh, earlier Jay was telling me they call her Dr. Rebellious. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's my nickname. Rebellious Sevelius. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's so awesome. Listen, Jay, thank you so much again for being here. I just, you shared so many great tips and information and I love hearing your story and I'm so grateful uh, to have been on this journey with you and to have you share it with others so that they can learn or get whatever they need in order to make the best decisions for themselves and their lives. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's It's been truly an honor to have this conversation with you. And I, I appreciate who you are in the world. Thank you. Thank you. 
All right, Rebels. Well, that's it for this episode. Stay tuned when we have some other amazing interviews that will be coming up soon. Um, you're going to want to re-listen to this one again. So if you didn't catch all the nuggets before, you're going to want to hit the rewind to make sure that you can catch them on the second or third round that you may be listening to all the amazing things that Jay said share today. And listen, until next time, have an amazingly rebellious week. I'll see you soon. Hey, if you're loving what you're learning on the podcast, then you've got to come check out the Career Rebel Academy. It's where you'll get the individual help and support you need applying the concepts and strategies you're learning here and so much more. You'll be joined by a community of other rebels just like you, and I'll be there as your guide every step of the way. If you're genuinely looking to change the course of your life and career, I promise you, this is the place you'll want to be. Just go to www.carolparkerwalsh.com forward slash career dash rebel dash academy. I can't wait to see you there.